Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Long Distance Work Life Podcast, the show where we are really determined to help you thrive, survive, get through, keep the weasels at bay in this crazy world of remote and hybrid work. My name is Wayne Termel. I'm with the Kevin Eikenberry Group. This is a Marissa-less episode. I don't want to say Marissa-free because that sounds like she's an undesirable thing and she's not. But when we don't have Marissa with us, that means that we have an interesting guest, which we do today. We are going to talk imposter syndrome and getting out of your own head and all that good stuff with Rico Nasol. Rico is in the Las Vegas area with me, which is kind of cool. And uh, Rico, how are you, man? I'm good. I'm good. Good to talk to you, Wayne. Thanks for having me. Uh, thank you for being had. Uh, so you are a consultant and a coach, and we will have links to your organization and all that good stuff. But one of the things that you and I have talked about offline, and I think this is really important for especially newer leaders, is this concept of imposter syndrome and not believing that you are good enough. First, can you give us a kind of working de definition of imposter syndrome just to kind of kick us off? Yeah. So imposter syndrome, how it showed up for me, and I think how it shows up for a lot of people, is you don't really believe that you have talent and that potentially you are lucky and that at some point in time, someone is going to find out you're not as smart as they think you are because you yourself don't feel like you have the confidence or the intelligence or the smarts um, to have achieved the things that you have. And the thing that drives that imposter syndrome are the stories that we tell ourselves, whether they're true or not true. It's just the running narrative that goes on in our heads. And what happened with the pandemic in remote life, it's exacerbated by the missing of real-time feedback. Right. So, OK, so yeah. tell me what you mean by that, by real time feedback, because some of us have spent our entire lives coping with this nonsense. Yeah. Uh, great question. And, and I had to get used to it because I was a before the pandemic, mostly in person leader, except for my global teams, which I, were distributed. Um, but since the pandemic, when that camera turns off, you're kind of left alone with the thoughts that you have. So if you don't think you if you don't have the confidence you will continue to reinforce that in your head as opposed to when I was in, in person and I did a presentation right when that presentation was over and I walked out, I'd have a colleague, I would go, Hey, how was that? Did that go? Okay. Was it, did I sound too fast? Did I answer the question? Like you get real time feedback from people that were in there just naturally walking to your next meeting. And in this zoom environment or this remote environment, you don't get that benefit unless you explicitly, and this is what I advise people is explicitly ask for it whether it's through Slack or chat or some sort of mechanism after the fact. Yeah, that's really important because one of the blessings, of course, of remote work is that you don't have a million people around you, but then you are left with the voice in your head. And if the voice in your head is unkind, and I'm really not being facetious about this. You know, mm -hmm. I always said I would fire any manager who talked to an employee the way I talk to myself. Absolutely. So our self-talk is so, so critical. Yeah. And that's one of the things that, so I, I coach leaders um, and, and almost the, the problem I solve, and it'll parlay into this, is I think we've all had, here's the story, we've all had those jobs, whether it was in high school or college, 
you kind of you don't think a lot of it but you end up being good at it and then they promote you to like the shift lead or something for me i worked at a theme park and i got promoted to the warehouse lead and nobody taught me how to be a leader they taught me about labor laws they taught me about harassment but nobody ever taught me how to lead people and unfortunately what i what happened to me in high school and college i see happen in the world today where people leaders whether they intentional or not assume hey this person is really good at the tactician part of the job so they must be a good leader and they never develop them in the way that leaders need to be, be developed so in that way when you're trying to pretend to be something that maybe you were never trained to do that's where i come in and a lot of the folks that i work with are either new leaders or pre-executives they didn't have proper training they don't know what they don't know and they just have this low confidence and this imposter syndrome that like the people who promoted me think I'm good at what I do. I don't think I'm that good at what I do. And I don't know when they're going to find me out. So I'm either going to fake it till I make it or I need to get help. And that's where you I find. Do you find that that is, here's the dirty little secret about our business, right? Is that the people who seek out learning, the people who want to get better at the job and are proactive about doing that are probably not the ones who need it the most because if they care enough to want to be good at it, Right? They've probably got some chops because wanting to do the job is a big piece of the deal. Yeah, unfortunately, that that is true. Um, but what I do see is I, why I put myself out there is people start to see themselves in me. So there's somebody that I worked with. He he I don't want to say he was reluctant, but it was took him a long time to want to work with me because he didn't see anyone around him that looked like him. Right. And so what I'm trying to do here, and I think what, what we try to do with the work that we do is expose people that there's more people like us out there. There's more ways to be successful. And nobody goes out and says, I want to be a toxic leader. Right. Nobody does that intentionally. But what happens is they have somebody who was never trained to train them. And then they train their leaders the same way or lack of training. Right. Mm -hmm. And so you're right. Where, you know, the people who want to be better at it, I think, are the ones that go after it. But I think it also takes leaders looking inward and saying like, hey, I, maybe I do need to get better than I can get the skills to help these folks get better. So I, I think it's a little bit of both. You get people that want to be better and hopefully they will want to help the people that report to them. Now, one of the things, the way we connected is you heard the interview we had with Janice Chaka yes. uh, on being a introvert and a remote leader. And, and uh, Marissa will link to that in our show notes for those of you who are interested, you're an introvert. Tell me a little bit about your journey because you've worked at some big old companies. Yeah, I so for me, I, introversion is not like shyness because I'm not shy, right? So, you know, that's my parents, a really important distinction, right? That, that we need to put a pin in. Yeah. And I, I say that because in certain moments I can be shy, but you know, like if I'm comfortable, I, you know, I, I can have a conversation and things like that. But where my introversion shows up is like, I'm not the loudest person in the room. It's not because I'm not shy. It's just not my nature. Right. I'm analytical. I need time to sit with things. And then after big presentations to like four or 500 people, I cherish the time to myself just to recharge, you know, just to, to get my batteries back. I know some people I worked with at Netflix and why this was, I had so much imposter syndrome in the beginning because you have this tape type A personality there where they're the biggest voices in the room and after like a 500 person presentation they're like excited mingling everywhere and like talking to everybody in the room and answering every single question 
So well, an organization like Netflix is really interesting. And maybe you can check my assumption here because Netflix is what I call show business adjacent. Mm -hmm. It's full of people who want to be in show business and want to be in the industry. And at its core, it's a data and an, an analysis company. Yep. It's interesting because I was there for almost nine years. And when I first started, we were just an aggregator. So we weren't much of an, an entertainment company. We used to call ourselves um, a tech company that happens to be an entertainment. And then towards the last maybe four years of my career is when we had more originals, more productions. We were an entertainment company backed by tech. So I was there for that shift. And the culture I started in was very Silicon Valley, like everybody's a type A, everybody's high performing, all those things. And so when I started there, they recruited me. I felt so much like an imposter. Like I'm not as smart as these people think they are. And one thing that I have to coach out of people is nobody's smarter than anybody else. They just have more experience in certain things. What I would tell myself is at Netflix, when I first got there, everybody sitting across from me is the smartest person in their field. So why, why am I here? But nobody said that. That was just my negative self-talk, right? And it's my fear of being found out that made me speak to myself that way. And it's almost like you said, if I talk to anyone else the way that I talk to myself, uh, it'd be terrible. I would be in HR all day. Yeah. To tell you the truth. Um, now, something about Netflix that I read not too long ago, which is kind of fascinating, is there's kind of a famous PowerPoint presentation, if you can call it, uh, if you can call any PowerPoint presentation famous, uh, that the CEO of Netflix was trying to explain the culture. And he came up with something called the keeper rule. You worked kind of under that mm -hmm. mindset, right? Yeah, I did. And and it's interesting because this is probably one of the biggest things I came across and had to debunk. And if you go to Glassdoor, you'll probably see all kinds of reviews about Keeper Test and uh, Culture of Fear. Um, but it's the idea that if you built this team again, would you keep this person, right? If you had to build a team over. And so the way it reads, it seems like, you know, you're just constantly every week, hey, what I keep this person when I keep that person. And in actuality, that's not how it played out, at least how it played out on my team, because that would be a very toxic environment. Yeah, what right? did it like? Because there are lots of ideas. It was like Jack Welch came up with the, well, you always fire your bottom 10%, which is fine for a couple of years when you have people who are underperforming. But once you have a performing team, it turns really toxic really mm -hmm. fast because everybody's trying to make sure they're not in the bottom 10, right? So all these good ideas very often get used for evil instead of good. So how did you apply it and how do you not make that toxic? Yeah. So um, on that point, I had the lowest churn rate. I had a 135 people organization and over my nine years, at like a 3% churn and then kind of counted voluntary. So I had a really low churn rate for my team. Um, but so how I thought about it was maybe during annual review time, maybe once or twice a year. I didn't, it wasn't like every week or even month. So I would think, okay, if I, cause tech moves fast. So Netflix, we were always changing and evolving, building new tools and new skill sets. So I would look at my team and say, Hey, if I had to rebuild this team, knowing what I know now, would I keep the folks that I have? And for me, it wasn't an exercise in letting go people is more of an exercise if I have the right people in the right roles. So maybe at this point in time where somebody was 
a motion graphics designer. Now they need to move into like a UX field where they can actually do animations on the product. So it wasn't a who can I, who do I need to let go that doesn't fit anymore. It's how can I be a better leader and find better fits for an evolving uh, company and evolving organization. One more time for the people in the back, uh, <laughs> as they say, because that's so important. And also, I would imagine that a piece of that is you know this person was a functioning member of the team and and they've been good and the team has changed how do we get them to that new role right how do we develop them how do we train them what do they need right and i, I can give you a, a story an example perfect example where i essentially automated a team i led out of a job and so it was a, a new ai technology computer vision technology we were like trying to pick images, right? And we first had humans doing it and then eventually got to the point where they were so good that we could have uh, computer vision do it and we needed just less people. We needed people just to verify instead of select. And most people would say, okay, so this team's job is eliminated. Let's just get rid of that team. What we actually did is, hey, they have value because they know the workflows, they know all these other things and they were big enough to work towards eliminating their own roles. So that told us that they had so much more value because of the way they mind their minds thought, the way they were strategic. And so we actually re found roles, new roles on new teams for all of them in ways that they could find more automations. So perfect example where most companies would reorganize and let go, we reorganized and found better fits for their future. So in the little bit of time that we have re remaining, Rico, you know, you have, as you said, you had international teams. You had, give us a couple of your best practices and what you coach your uh, clients to do. Uh, first of all, for totally remote teams and then for hybrid teams. Yeah. So for, we'll start with totally remote and I'll talk about things, how I, how I develop my teams and my leaders. And then I'll talk about the things I do for myself for my imposter syndrome. So some of the things I do with my teams and, and my leaders is it's not nothing new, but I, I have everyone come up with three personal and professional goals. It needs to be balanced. So the personal goals is so we can check in on each other on like if you want to travel more, if you want to get into more cooking, things like that. And we have something to anchor our one on ones into. And I also provide opportunities and for real time feedback. So like the story I said, if I have a, a director of mine who's presenting, Immediately right after, like, hey, do you want to talk about how it went? Or, you know, like, here's some things that went really well. Or I'll send, I'll just send feedback in a note. Hey, this this part really went really well. I loved how you did this. If there's anything to talk about, it'd be like this. So when they are in a vacuum with their own thoughts, they have my feedback and they have my thoughts and my reassurance that they did a good job, that whatever negative self-talk they have is not valid. So that's one. Okay. Thing. Yeah. I, I also want to tie something you said because you said you get them to give you three personal goals and three uh, professional goals. And a lot of managers do that. It's kind of rote. You do it at the beginning of the year. And then they never pay any more attention to those personal things. Right. It's like, okay, I did that. Check, check, check. But our one on ones are going to be about work. Yeah. I mean, it's really important. Like, I can tell you. Right now, even though I'm not there anymore, most of my team is still there. I can go back to my team at Netflix, the Creative Studio, and tell you who their kids are, 
who they're seeing, who they're married to, like what their goals are, all those things, because that's the thing that's important with leaders is you make to make everyone around you better. You have to know who they are. Right. You, you can't just make everyone a be everyone better in general terms. You need to really get to know them as people because people some people are type A, some people are type B, some people show up differently than others. And especially in this remote world, if you don't understand how each person shows up best, you start to create exclusive environments. I have folks on my team who show up best in like comments in a Google Doc and are deftly afraid of speaking in public, but they show up really well in comments and in, in documents. So if I just relied on, I need to hear you to see you, I'm starting to exclude very high level contributors on my team. Wow. Uh, real quick, uh, hybrid teams, anything specifically to that environment? Yeah. So hybrid teams don't, don't underestimate the power of team building. Um, I did a lot when we were in person and just getting in a room and whiteboarding. That's the thing I think is most important when you get to be in person. It's not just sitting in a room. I think it's getting together and actually working on something tangible together and really get the creative juices running. And that's when you get the most productivity and engagement from your folks. Yeah, I think that's such a key point. And again, we're just, this is me underlining uh, verbally, but this notion that being together in the same room doesn't create camaraderie or teamwork or innovation, it's focused work. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and exactly. if some of the people are in the room and some of them aren't, it's still that focused work that's going to do the, the job. Exactly, exactly. Great um, stuff. Rico, I am sorry to say that is the end of our time. So much good stuff. Uh, Rico is in Henderson, Nevada. He is uh, he has his own consulting company, Rico Nassol Coaching and Consulting. We will have links to that in our uh, in our show notes. Marissa will do her usual terrific job of that. Nico, I'm going to say goodbye to you momentarily while I close up the show. That is the long distance work life for this week. Uh, if you enjoyed it, please, please, please like, subscribe. You know how podcasts work. We beg for your feedback, uh, but we actually want your feedback. So if you have questions, comments, vicious personal attacks, if you have a pet peeve or a topic that you'd like Marissa and I to tackle or ideas for a guest, please reach out to us on LinkedIn or our names, Wayne at KevinIconberry.com, Marissa at KevinIconberry.com. If you are trying to reorganize your team, thinking about what your new work should look like, we urge you to check out our new book, The Long Distance Team, Designing Your Team for Everyone's Success. That's it. I hope you're enjoying the show. We really love bringing you a mix of kind of thoughtful trend stuff and tactical, practical work. Uh, very, very smart people like Rico. We're sure that you enjoy it. Uh, check out all our past episodes. You can do that at longdistanceworklife.com as well. And for now, next week, we'll be back with Marissa. My name is Wayne Turmel. Don't let the weasels get you down. We'll see you next episode.